What is up, everybody, and welcome back to the Sex and Self podcast, a place where you can learn a little bit about sex and hopefully a lot about yourself. Today, we have a very special guest. We have Fiona Dawson with us, and we're going to be talking a little bit about Fiona's new book called Are Bisexuals Greedy? And before this recording, Fiona gave me a little bit of a tease of what the book is going to look like. Um, But Fiona, would you like to introduce yourself and kind of let everybody know what kind of projects you've been working on and how you've been developing this beautiful book? Yeah, thank you so much, Felicia. I am thrilled to be here. Thank you for the invitation. Um, I usually start with debunking my accent because people hear my voice and they assume that I'm British. (laughs) Um, But I actually live in Austin in Texas in the US. And so these days I say that my accent is from England, but I'm from Texas. (laughs) So I love it here. It's hot and cheap. (laughs) How long have you been in Texas for? So I moved to Texas 22 years ago. (laughs) Oh my God. You look fabulous. Thank you. I was I was 21 when I left England in 1998. So I'll let everybody else figure out how old I am. I know your jaw is dropping right now, right? Shut the fuck up. Oh Seriously. my God. I think I, it's because I don't have children. That's probably why I still look like this. But good yeah, move. I'll, I'm good like, choice. I can I consider myself like Auntie Fiona now because um I'll be 45 in July, but I still act like I'm 23. So you look like you're 23. I swear Thank to you. God. <laughs> Folks, y'all have to Google this woman because she is beautiful. Bless Holy you. shit. Uh, if I don't look half as good as you when I'm 45, I'm going to lose my shit. <laughs> well, I think actually like... I find that sometimes with age, like the more you get to know yourself and like the more confident you feel, I think the better you look on the outside. So, um, you know, I, I didn't like how I looked in my twenties or whatever. And I think I had to do a lot of work on loving myself and I'll look back at photographs of when I was younger and I'm like, you know, what? I think I look better now than I did then. So, you know, I'm not bothered. (laughs) That's a fucking fantastic way to go. Anytime someone asks me, I'm like, it can only get worse from here. So, I, but really, you're proving me wrong. No, seriously, we should all think of ourselves as like um, wine that is just, you know, getting more delicious by the year. That's what that's what we are. I gotta so. change. I gotta change my thought process, and I gotta drink more wine. I think. Yeah, um, drink drink more wine. Yeah, just <laughs> that's a little. A good, that's a good remedy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, but like, I think you kind of needed to know my age for the context of like what I'm going to tell you what I've done. Because, you know, you said, you know, what, I've, what have I what have I been doing with my life? Um, but I, I left the UK in 98 and I volunteered in Bangladesh for six and a half months. And I was in Portugal for a year. And then I ended up in Houston, Texas in the year 2000. And all of throughout those years, I'd only ever identified as straight um hadn't really been smothering non-straight feelings but just hadn't come out to myself I didn't feel anything but straight and then um I got married to an American and then 2004 I uh got divorced and came flying out the closet as a lesbian and then in 2012 later re-identified as bisexual um but in the time during that time I used to work for charities helping people living with HIV and AIDS I was very much in the LGBTQ community and then in 2010 um, I found myself working for a bank in corporate social responsibility and it was a good job and it was like a nice stable career and it was doing good for the world but 
it was the volunteering and like the advocacy and being involved in film and TV and cameras that was really like lighting my soul. So um, I decided just to quit my job and make my dreams come true. And I've been making it up ever since. (laughs) (laughs) I just like went into film without going to film school and just, and I knew the power of personal storytelling. And so I ended up spending about eight years on a project called Trans Military that advocated for active duty trans service members in the US to be able to serve openly in the military. And um, we had some success with that. And then I started um, a unscripted docu-reality series that I'm working on that is actually currently still titled the same as the book Are Bisexuals Just Greedy where we're answering questions that are frequently asked of the LGBTQ community and we're focusing on positive stories of kindness and courage um so yeah that's what I do and I've got kind of like made my own business and I make storytelling videos for corporations to help their diversity and equity and inclusion training programs work and you know, running around with a big smile on my face, making friends with everybody. That's it. <laughs> oh my God. What a fulfilling career. Holy crap. That's I'm lucky. Like so <laughs> honorable in my eyes. Like I think that that's incredible. So no, I was gonna say, like, I think that I know I would encourage anyone listening to this to just if you know what you're born to do go do it like there's an amazing quote by Howard Thurman that says ask not what the world needs ask what makes you feel alive and go do it because what the world needs are people doing things that make them feel alive and so as we all go through life like if you just stop and question about you know what am I doing for career like what is making me happy like notice how your body feels when you're doing things and if it feels good that's what you should do more of you know and so I just feel very grateful that I have been able to follow what my gut has been telling me and it by no means has been easy I don't want this to be painted as like ah, sweetness and light and is rosy and everything no it's been like years of shitty struggle <laughs> um but as you uncover those layers of shitty you finally get to like the little core inside of you and you know you realize yeah I'm doing what I'm born to do so I would encourage everybody just go do what you know you're born to do <laughs> That's amazing. And kind of coming out in your, Mm. I don't want to say like later life, but I feel like we have this conception that like everyone kind of comes out the womb and is like really, uh, like really knows kind of their sexuality and we forget like how compulsory compulsory heteronormativity is like involved in the Mm -hmm. whole process and religion and culture and all of these different things. And a lot of folks come out later. I came out as bisexual Mm -hmm. at 22. So Yeah, hallelujah, but Jesus Christ took me long enough, you know? Like, anyways. <laughs> I mean, some, yeah, I mean, but some people, you say that, but some people, you know, have come out even later, like 40s, 50s, 60s, you know? I think I think I saw, like, a news article of somebody coming out as gay, and they were, like, in the 80s or 90s or something. Like, it was some random story. Um, but you are exactly right, where for, I think for a long time we've had this narrative that everybody knows their sexual orientation at a young age, you know, and, um, and you'll hear people say, oh, look at that kid who's five years old, that kid is gay. Now that kid may be gay. But I think what we're actually judging is that kid's gender expression, and we're putting the sexual orientation label on it, you know, which isn't always correct. I mean, and then as adults, some LGBTQ adults say, yes, I always knew and they did always know. But there are many more of us that our sexual orientation can be fluid over time. And I like to say, 
that um, I've never um, chosen my sexual orientation, but I've always chosen to be authentic. And so I didn't come out until as lesbian until I was about what, 26, 27. But it, again, it wasn't because I knew when I was three and I'd been hiding it ever since. Like that wasn't the case. I just hadn't had that level of self-awareness to realize that one, I had this capacity inside of me. And two, I just genuinely think it hadn't triggered on. Like I imagine like a switch, like a light switch switching on. And so uh, for about seven or eight years after coming out as gay, I just used that label as gay or lesbian. I said gay more often because lesbian also feels like a culture that I didn't belong to. And then um, around early 2012, I realized the only reason I was declining a date with a guy was because I'd labeled myself as lesbian. But if I was really true to myself, um, I was actually attracted to that guy and I wouldn't mind going out with him. Um, but I was still attracted to women too. And then I was like, oh my gosh, there's a B in LGBT. Why didn't I think about this? Um, especially when the latest Gallup poll came out last week saying 57% of LGBT people identify as bisexual. We've been over half for the longest time. And yet we've been the invisible majority because our stories haven't been told accurately. We've got all this stigma and stereotypes. Um, and so I was like, I guess, 32, 33, maybe 34. I forget the years when I came out as bi. And I think that, um, now I know, you know, I have the capacity to be romantically and or sexually attracted to somebody as the same or a different gender than me, which basically for me is similar to Pan. I think Pan and Bi are kind of like non-identical twins. Um, and uh, maybe in the future there'll be another word. Um, but for now, like this is the right word for me. And none of this is new either. Like gender has been on a spectrum. Sexual orientation has been on a spectrum. Hell, our genitals are on a spectrum because let's not forget that one in 100 people are also intersex, having a combination of male and female sex tissue and chromosomes and hormones. And human beings have always been designed on the spectrum. And yet, like thousands of years, I was just like writing something earlier. And did you know that the earliest porn that we have found um, is bisexual and it's cave paintings in um, China um, demonstrating um, porn, um, like 3000 year old rock carvings. Um, and so we throughout history people have always been non-binary they've always not been straight like there wasn't even a word for straight years ago and so now we're living in this really exciting time where we're getting to uncover these layers and take them off and realize yep this is us and it's okay to be fluid and it's okay to not know who you are it's okay to take your time to figure it out and maybe some of us will never figure it out but that's still okay <laughs> anyway that was really long <laughs> No, there was, there was so much to that. And yeah, I think that progression is like really important it, because I have all these conversations all the time with different people with lived experiences or people in the industry. Yeah. And a, a lot of folks learn from their own, unfortunately, experiences instead of like through educational means, which is, you know, we should have been taught that sexuality is on a spectrum. We should have been taught that gender is fluid. We should have been taught that there aren't these binaries that kind of, society has placed on us so mm -hmm. going to your book because yeah that's like in turn what you're doing yeah um, how did you kind of come into this like how did you yeah. decide that you wanted a book 
Yeah. So the book is titled Are Bisexuals Just Greedy? And 20 Other Rather Direct Questions Asked of the LGBTQ Community. Um, It's written for people who are old enough to swear and talk about sex, but it's illustrated to look like a kid's book because I wanted to make it accessible and cheeky and fun and that kind of stuff. And the way I came to write it was I had made a two minute animation explaining the difference between the word cisgender and transgender It's on YouTube. So I'd love to give the link uh, to your listeners to be able to find it. And um, it, I was asked that question many times through my work on trans military and advocating for trans people. And people wanted to know what cisgender meant as well as trans men. And so then I realized, you know what? There's a number of different questions people ask. Um, things like, and these are going to be very like direct and cheeky. And they've turned it into chapter titles because I started writing these scripts. Like, is being transgender the same as being gay? How do I know what my gender is? What's the QIA and LGBTQIA? What does queer mean? Um, So on and so on. Like there's 21 chapters. I'm not going to read them all out, but they're on my website. People want to read. And so I started like writing these scripts, wanting to make more animation to be able to help educate people. And as I kept writing, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this would make an amazing book. Like, let's just turn it into a book. So I have this like one copy that's a sample copy. Um, so I'm fr- we don't have a release date yet. But if people go to my website, just go to artbisexualsjustgreedy.com. You can sign up and you can be notified when it's available to purchase. But it will be coming out for everybody to buy wherever books are sold. Um, and I just like started getting like really um I don't know cheeky and courageous with it and um I'm so excited to share with your listeners what the dedication is right so um there's this little cartoon character of me and then in this whimsical lettering with flowers the dedication says for dad please just skip the parts where I talk about blowjobs (laughs) (laughs) isn't that a father's (laughs) dream like oh just just how like you you have a child you're you know you grow this child up and they write a book and then <laughs> I know like I, unfortunately like my, well bless him my dad has had to get used to me um over time um and of course my mum did and, and I referenced my mum my my dear dear mummy she died of pancreatic cancer in 2006 so um she didn't get to see this glory although I think she is seeing this glory because she and I are extremely close I feel very spiritually connected to my mom so I think my mom's like laughing from heaven and my dad has to deal with the reality on earth um but I will say like you know I my dad wrote the afterword as well which is really cool like um he and then and like my style of writing is all cheeky and stuff. And then he's he's a retired physician. So he's written this very dry, analytical, like summary of everything. And it's like, okay, go to sleep on dad's afterward and be entertained on what I've written. Um, but for me, like the, 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 the reason why it came up to the blowjobs thing is because first of all, the title Are Bisexuals Just Greedy comes from something my dad said to me. And I know that a lot of bi people and non-bi people have heard this where I was watching TV. I was probably like late teenager and out the blue, my dad said, oh, I can understand men being gay and I can understand women being lesbians. But I think bisexuals are just greedy. And it's like that's part of our stigma stereotype. Right. Maybe you've heard that too, Felicia, where they think we're just promiscuous. 
we want to have sex with everybody and we're not trustworthy and we're unreliable or indecisive and blah 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 and all of those things can be true for somebody who's not bisexual like <laughs> you can be promiscuous and straight <laughs> like you can you know so I'm not like sex shaming or judging any of these things um but these labels are really assigned to a behavior and those behaviors can be true of of somebody of any sexual orientation it's not just the bisexuals that can be greedy um and some bisexuals are not greedy at all you know um but the whole blowjob thing came about was because in the introduction I write about um how I came to identify as bi and um when I first identified as lesbian back in 2004 I would excitedly tell friends I'm like oh my god I'm never gonna have to give a blowjob again because you know, I was already been straight up to that point and then and then as I came to realize I'm bi I started saying to friends oh my god does that mean I have to give a blowjob again and then I thought deeper about it and I thought actually being lesbian did not mean that blowjobs were off the books because hello some women are born with a penis and would like to keep it and have a blowjob right and so by saying that we're really kind of you know um not recognizing the trans community and trans women and then um at the end of the chapter you know I come to conclude that you know I've settled on bisexual I put p.s dad shut your eyes now I don't mind giving a blowjobs to the person I love funny how things change and so I think again it's like things change and that's okay you might go through a period of life where you might be more attracted to a certain um sex assigned at birth or gender gender excuse me genitals or gender and sometimes you, you know you can ebb and flow um and it and it, it doesn't matter that's okay that's part of being human and not all bisexual people are the same. If you imagine like a pie graph, you know, people can be attracted to different genders to different degrees and not always at the same time. You know, it's not a 50-50. And I think that um, the more we can just like talk about these things and like be openly talking about sex, which is why I think it's awesome that you're doing this podcast. I've been listening to episodes in preparation. And I think that you are doing such a great job of just like, let's just talk about this shit, right? Um, Because if we don't talk about it, then we don't know each other. We don't hear each other's stories. We can't relate to each other. And um, yeah, it's so important. Anyway, yes, that's the book. Very excited about it. <laughs> no, that's fantastic. And you mentioned off off the recording that there was uh, a trans mask person that was a part of the story. So what yeah. kind of stories are included in the book? Is it just yeah. bisexual narratives? No, not at all. So first of all, the illustrations are done by my dear friend, Sid Cordoba. Um, they then pronouns, my pronouns are she, her. And um, Sid is a non-binary transmasculine person who has been working with me now for a couple of years on uh, doing animation. And she and they did the illustrations for the book. And um, I just love that we got to collaborate on it because I think it's so important to have multiple perspectives because there's not one way to be bisexual. There's not one way to be trans, not one way to be non-binary. Like all of these things are multidimensional. And in fact, the editor um, is also a trans guy. And um, the stories like are basically breaking down some of the most 101 fundamentals of gender, sex assigned at birth or genitals and sexual orientation. And it's really written for people who know nothing. 
And so I think that there are going to be many LGBTQ plus people listening that will be like, oh, yeah, I know that. What the hell is Fiona talking about? Well, this is the book that you can take home at the holidays and give to that rude uncle that asks all the inappropriate questions and you're not quite sure how to answer it (laughs) so it's kind of like I say it's like written for Uncle Ted (laughs) Um, but even questions like do all transgender men want a penis right that's one of the titles but that chapter actually talks about gender dysphoria and so it's like using these very blunt direct questions to be actually get take us to a deeper level of understanding each other's experiences. So I think by no means do I profess to be infallible. I know, I'm sure that there are gonna be people that read this and they're gonna disagree with my perspective, but the facts I've done, I've worked my ass off (laughs) to do the fact checking and to get the studies right. And like the whole references and bibliography was the right bitch to do. Um, But it's like, you know, it's backed up. So I'm not like spouting like nonsense. Um, But at the same time, I think that a lot of people are afraid to ask questions because they're afraid of offending somebody. They're afraid of getting it wrong. And I just want to try and be somebody that can hold people's hands necessarily and like sit down and have a conversation um, and be able to help everybody out. Because I think that when we, you know, cancel each other out and we argue and fight and like we, you know, we won't listen to each other, then we're making the problem worse. And so that's my intention with all of my work, actually. No, I think that's fabulous because it also relieves the pressure of like the quote unquote, like queer person of the family to like host these dialogues too, because they're tired. Uh, You know, they live it. They, they experience the homophobia. They experience whatever type of, you know, bigotry that they, they kind of have to live through. And I really think that books are like a fantastic place to start these conversations without having to do the labor, because if you want to have a conversation about sexuality, about gender, but you're not willing to read a book, it's like, how, how much are you willing to really listen? It's kind of like a nice little test to see if people mm-hmm. are trying to like poke or actually learn. Correct. Exactly. And I actually, I wrote the book for people who don't usually read books about this, <laughs> you know, and that's another reason why I wanted it to be illustrated, because I think that the people that need this information are oftentimes going to be people that aren't going to go grab the book. And so I wanted to make it accessible in that way. And it's packed with anecdotal anecdotes and storytelling. You know, I talk about my family in ways um, and then Gus. Um, the uh, editor who is a trans guy I kind of passed the pen over to him and he writes about his experience of gender dysphoria because as a cisgender ally I feel like it's very important that I don't take up the space of a trans person's story but also to your point not all trans people want to have to explain who they are so if, if somebody doesn't want to have to explain then I'll stand up and explain for you so you don't have to but by no means should I be taking your space when you want to advocate for yourself and you want to show your personal story and in that situation it's my responsibility to be able to help cre- create the platform and to be able to help the, open the doors and to be able to like have everybody's story told. So yeah, it's packed with that kind of stuff as well. <laughs> and your your family seems to be kind of a consistent thread in your experiences. And I think yeah. everyone's family is, but how, how was it kind of coming out 
and then changing your identity uh like even as an adult like you know you're yeah. granted you're not a child and you're not living in your parents house but how was that reaction were they supportive were they not supportive did they need a little bit of time to like ease into it yeah i'm extremely lucky because they've always been supportive um but they were confused when i first came out as gay my mom apparently said was talking to my best friend about it and um the conversation between them was like well fiona will try anything once <laughs> like i mean my my reply was i'll try anything once and twice if i'm not sure <laughs> oh my god <laughs> so there was that but they were like they were confused because i had not shown any signs of the stereotype of being gay you know as a teenager I had all the boy posters up on the wall um when when I was when I was a teenager new kids on the block was really popular uh, so <laughs> each of us in our high school group we had our guy as who I was gonna who we we're gonna marry and I was obsessed with Joe out of new kids on the block and I swore I was gonna marry him one day I hope that Joe actually listens to this podcast one day because he needs to know that I would go to bed like kissing him on my pillow at night um but anyway so I hadn't like shown any of the gay signs but then when I did come out I was in a relationship with a cisgender woman for nearly two years so I really like stuck into the whole lesbian thing right I mean we moved in after you know a few months um and so it, for seven years I exclusively only dated cisgender women and I really I felt very strong that I had this lesbian identity um but then as I say when I started to realize I was bi um I, first of all, I had been known in Houston as an out lesbian. Like I was the female grand marshal for the Houston Pride Parade in 2009. I was that gay, right? So I was known with this identity and it was very um, difficult for me personally to have to let go of using or, or identifying with that label because I felt that people were going to be judging me and saying, oh, I'd been pretending to be gay, especially because I'd been seen as straight first. And so I just didn't want to feel like people thought that I was um, making it up or, you know, I was like clinging on to some kind of straight privilege that doesn't exist in the bi community or, um, you know, I didn't want to lose my gay family. It was nice being gay because you had a sense of belonging and it was scarier being bi because I didn't really know anyone else who'd come out as bi and I had held on to these stigmas of bi people myself so it was actually a lot harder to personally process being bi and so um, I did like a YouTube video um, to announce that I was bisexual that I jokingly say in the book like it now looks like I was uploaded by a dinosaur compared to all the incredible TikToks that people do these days because I realized there's a whole <laughs> bi community on TikTok. Um, so yeah, mine's like <laughs> very antiquated. Um, but, and I would change the language a bit now as well. When I came out in 2012, I was still using some kind of binary words and language that I would use differently now. Um, but when I told my dad, because, you know, my mum my died before I came out as bi, so she never got to have this good news. Um, but my my dad said, oh, that makes so much more sense. <laughs> and it's like, fuck's sake, dad. Like, I love you, but, you know, but that again, like that 
again is like a microaggression against being bi because it's almost like oh it makes sense because now you're going to be conforming to this um model that i have of you as to who you're meant to be um i know that i've heard from other bi bi people where their parents are kind of relieved that they're bi because there's a chance that they might it's like they're 50 percent straight yeah which is which which i can't statistically by the numbers okay so people will say to you like when you're by you're like oh you've got double the chance of a date well bullshit if we've got double the chance of a date just think about it okay if you're going to talk about gender being a binary just for the conversation all the the men okay all right so most you've got more straight men maybe if they're attracted to you you've got a chance for them but then and then you've got like maybe a percentage of the bi men and then you've got a smaller percentage of the gay men. And then on the women, again, all you've got all the women, the straight women, which is much larger, they're not necessarily going to be interested. And then you've got the bi women, they might be interested. And then you've got the lesbians, who most of all don't want to touch a bi person because they're convinced we're going to run off with a man in the end anyway. So like that 50-50 thing. And so pull, like as a, as a cis bi woman, um, or, or by people in general, statistically, you're more likely going to end up in a long-term partnership with somebody of a different gender than you. And then that means that you're kind of invisible to society because people read your genders and they just assume that you're straight, which is like one of the reasons why we really need to do a better job of sharing our stories publicly and in media and film and television and books and so on and so forth. You know, especially when you do a survey and you realize like 57% of the LGBT community identifies as bi. And that's because we're not being seen, we're not being heard. We know, I know so many gay and lesbian, well, people who just let other people think they're gay and lesbian when they're actually bi, but it's just easier for them to say gay and lesbian. And like, we just have to like break these barriers down. You know, as I say, I'm on a mission to decolonize the worldview of gender and sexuality because it's all oh, this binary bullshit needs to go. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's it's a mess and it's it's so hard. I actually didn't know that it was such a high number of 57% of like queer folks are bi. Yeah. Which is just like crazy. And I like the way you presented the way by people date as well, because I think that there, there is this misconception that you have all these options. And then it's like, you take both populations, you take both binary populations. It's a really slim minority. And it is, it is much easier to say you're gay or you're a lesbian because people have just a better understanding of what that is. And maybe it's because they're more familiar with it. Maybe it's because it's more binary because there's just limitations. You're gay, you're gay, you're, you're lesbian, you're lesbian. People don't mm. really understand that there can be a spectrum to that as well. Yeah. Um, but it's just like yeah. easier to digest, I guess. And that's also yeah. the whole thing. I liked that you mentioned earlier about kind of bisexuality and pansexuality being like, um, what is it like fraternal twins or something like that? Yeah, yeah. I said non-identical twins, but yeah, fraternal twins. Because I think it's a do get asked it a lot as well. Like, why don't you choose the word bar? I mean, pan. Yeah, like, and even when I was coming into my own sexuality, I was really flipping between both labels because I felt like pansexuality maybe represented more of like how I romantically feel about people. 
but bisexuality for me was something that I had an easier time, I guess, digesting and understanding. But I, I and granted, like with my limited dating experience, I'm I, I felt like it just like better represented the experiences that I had. But that's also internalized homophobia because you don't have to, mm-hmm. you know, you don't have to have sex to know what your sexuality is, mm-hmm. which is like crazy. <laughs> No, ex- exactly. And I think that one of the ways that I look at it is to remind ourselves that sexual orientation is a combination of identity, attraction and behavior. And I love what you just said about, you know, pan maybe being romantic and then bi could be sexual or whatever. But basically, um, and within, so like identity, you know, is the label that you give to yourself attraction like we all have an attraction box and let's break down attraction in three different ways right so attraction can be love romance and sex and if you imagine like there's a sliding scale on those and some people could like have a high love and or romantic attraction to toward people but then a lower sexual attraction towards somebody you know somebody who's got zero to little attraction being labeled as asexual um but that you still can have like love and romantic attraction to people and like that could be different for people of different genders as well and then going to the third thing of the orientation behavior you don't have to behave or do anything to demonstrate or prove your identity or your attraction they can exist within you without you ever having to act on them and it doesn't mean that that label doesn't apply to you you know you could be bisexual and never have sex or any kind of romantic behavior with somebody of a similar or the same gender and still be bisexual you know and I just think that these are the things that I find so exciting for us to learn and uncover and understand because it's always been like this, but it was during colonization times that these strict structures were put into place and said, men do this, women do that, everyone's straight, by the way, which we know is complete bullshit. And and what I find so cool is like younger generations are refusing to go into those boxes. So like the study that I'm reporting is actually this Gallup study that is um, surveying Americans. And that's where we get, um, the, you know, 57% of the LGBT Americans identify as bi. But last year, 2021, one in six Gen Z identified as LGBTQ. Just one year later, it's now one in five Gen Z identifies LGBTQ. And that's because Gen Z are turning into ad, like reaching adult age yeah. and they're being counted, you know. And so it's not that everybody's we're not more queer. We're just being more honest about being queer. That's what's happening, you know. And and like people of older generations haven't lived in an environment where they've had the language or the awareness to be able to verbalize who they are when it comes to their sexual orientation and gender identity. And now we're changing things and like that, it just excites me so much. And so get this, again, adult Americans, um, out of the whole generation Z, including straight Gen Zs, right? So one in six Gen Z identifies as bisexual, 
that's not just the LGBT Gen Zs, that's the whole Gen Zs, you know? And so it's like, I'm like snapping. <laughs> that we're kind of like beginning to understand ourselves as humans to a deeper level. Um, because, you know, I firmly believe we're all just spiritual beings having a human experience. So if you imagine we've got like a little spirituality flames inside of us and we're all just given these different bodies to exist in um, and we're doing a better job of like connecting. OK, what is this brain set telling me? You know, what is this body telling me? Like, who am I? How am I walking, working, walking in the world like or tra going through the world? Because not everybody walks on two feet, of course. <laughs> um, don't want to be ableist in my conversation either. Uh, <laughs> you see, I'm constantly thinking about these things. Um, so it's I think it's good. And but the, because there's a lot of fear and like there's kind of like people who are, don't want us to get out of those structures. And that's why we kind of see these attacks um, you know, from politicians and uh, and other people, you know, and I just think that we kind of need to get over the fear of this and just see this as an exciting opportunity to develop as human beings across the world. <laughs> no, I, I absolutely love it too. I'm I, I I'm part of the Gen Z community, so I'm like really yeah. happy. I definitely think TikTok was. Uh, very much a part of me coming coming out because I ended up on lesbian TikTok and I was like why how did I end up on lesbian TikTok and then I was like I really like looking at lesbians and then I was like well this is something and and COVID did yeah. that frankly like I wouldn't oh, have been on TikTok if I wasn't on if I wasn't living through this pandemic like frankly with yeah. like in-person activities I just would have been too busy so no, I, I and I, I do agree. And we know we have so much evidence. We have so many historical, like, like you mentioned earlier, um, like just different bodies of proof that queer people have existed throughout time. And yeah. I think like, I think religion definitely does affect the whole like pushing it back and trying to repress it and being very like, colonial and Eurocentric and Catholic, mm -hmm. I think it really, really does impact people. But I really feel like in this, in the last couple of years, really seeing that very polarizing perspective of like seeing Gen Z come into their sexuality very openly. Granted, there are still issues, there's still like lots yes. of problems, but I feel like we're the most open generation. Um, granted, because of the work of millennials and Gen X's and kind of like what y'all had to do for us to be like this, but there's still that boomer generation that hasn't died off yet and <laughs> is really pushing these very conservative and ill-informed and just kind of repressive. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that they're the ones suffering the most, to be completely frank. Like, we all know there's so many closeted gays in that generation and everybody is like everyone's got a lot of issues over there I don't have the stats yeah. but just take my word <laughs> and, and and so I, I really see that that polar opposites and it's, it, it does make me very hopeful um that eventually we'll be able to get like queer curriculum into schools and you know getting people you know not just having the like you know, it, during Pride Month, the little like token like bookshelf for all the gay books. Like we want to just right. have those well integrated into our into right. our environment and into our 
into our school. I know a lot of teachers get in trouble for teaching queer stuff in the U.S. specifically. Yeah. Um, granted, they yeah. get in trouble here too. Canada's not that much better. We just have less <laughs> people, so less problems. But it's just like a it's, it's all just relative. a statistical <laughs> thing. Yeah, like it doesn't matter. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. What do you think is the like biggest thing that we as like and this is a very large question but what do you think is the biggest thing we kind of have to overcome socially to move forward in into a better um into like a more thought-provoking and like allyship focused society Mm -hmm. I think the first question people any person could ask themselves is how do I know what my gender is because most people don't even stop and think about their gender. And I think that if we actually, in school, I wish we had to write essays at the age of nine or something, I don't know. Like, how do I know what my gender is? Because once you start asking that question, you then start to realize how it's actually been influenced externally by society. So one of the things that I've written about is, I, in fact, one of the questions is, how do I know what my gender is? And I was at the Los Angeles Pride Parade in around 2011-ish, 2012. And there was this booth and it said, how do I know what my gender is? And I actually regret what I wrote today because back then I wrote, oh, because I've got, you know, big hips and a small waist and I've got bouncy boobs and, you know, I love wearing pretty lipstick and, you know, I just and like and then I was like trying to get deeper and I kept writing and at the end I said well just because I just know (laughs) and that last line was all I really needed to write you know because I know because all of these other things are just um society saying women women's bodies should be look should look like this and you know women should express their gender wearing these clothes and this bright red lipstick but it's the bright red lipstick it just happens to light me up and feel great But that doesn't mean to say that somebody of a different or a masculine gender can't wear bright red lipstick. It doesn't mean that they're necessarily, you know, a woman. (laughs) You know, anyone of any gender should wear this fabulous fucking lipstick. (laughs) Um, And if it makes you feel good, do it, right? And uh, so I think that in order to start to help society, it's like just start asking very quite basic questions like how do I know what my gender is I do also feel strongly as a trans advocate I think every person needs to know what the word cisgender is and cisgender obviously being spelled with c-i-s gender if somebody doesn't know what cisgender means it probably means you are cisgender Um, if you're listening and you don't know please watch my two-minute animation um, because and then share it with everybody you know But basically, cis is a Latin word, which means aligned. And it just means that you do agree with the label that you were given for your gender at birth. Um, If you're trans, it means that you disagree with the gender label applied to you at birth. And I just think knowing these kinds of things. And then I would say the third thing is recognizing that everything is on a spectrum, especially gender, sex assigned at birth and sexual orientation is on a spectrum. And I think you know it's just getting to understand ourselves as as deeper human beings one more analogy I want to throw out at you is I imagine that we're all icebergs you know floating along 
and 10% of an iceberg is visible. And so you're really only seeing about 10% of who we are as humans on the surface. But there's this whole delicious 90% of who we are beneath the surface. And I think it would help society if we actually learned how to scuba dive <laughs> and go investigate more of the hidden aspects of who we are, you know, as human beings. And we have the technology to do it now. We have the ability to share our stories and to get each other, you know, get out. And um, as much as I'm not a fan of social media, I think it's awesome because it's helped people come out and come to understand themselves because they've heard somebody else's story. And, you know, this is a great opportunity for us to do good in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, I do, I do a lot of work for pre-service teachers because that's where my education is. So like talking to them about how to integrate sex ed in the classroom because teachers have no training, frankly, and it's very sad. But um, uh, my first thing when I talk to them is I always tell them to have like a, a reflective conversation with themselves too. So I, I really think, and that's also part of the reason why kind of I maintain this podcast is because conversations are so easy to have. Granted, they're they're challenging when you're prompted correctly and you are coming and, you know, being as present as you possibly can and really digging into whatever you're discussing. But it's it's such an accessible way to start having those thought-provoking conversations and start engaging different people, start engaging yourself um, and like becoming more open to the positives and the negatives that you kind of have encountered, whether it's within your own sexuality or within your own gender identity, or even like the privileges, like Mm -hmm. it is like, I think it's important for me specifically to really acknowledge like my privileges as a bisexual, because I know that I, I present myself as very, well, I am cisgendered, but I present myself as very like, quote unquote, straight. So I know that a lot of that, like public harassment, like I've never experienced Mm -hmm. that directly. And that's such a, such a privilege. Whereas somebody who may not look as quote unquote straight as I do, would not Mm -hmm. have that luxury, which is super unfortunate. Mm -hmm. But I think it was a really, like a really challenging conversation for me to have with myself to recognize that I have some advantages that other queer folks don't. Um, But it really helped me recognize my place and space in this industry. Like you said, Mm -hmm. you know, being an ally, you want to make sure that you can have those provoking conversations, but if there is a trans person who is willing to share their story, making spaces for them. Correct. Correct. Exactly. And I think, you know, safety always has to, you know, be considered first. Sometimes it's not safe for anyone to share their story. And it, and um, it, it's critical that um, we address that rather than feeling like there's a responsibility to always have to come out and always have to share your story. Um, you know put yourself first love yourself first keep yourself safe first and then at the same time people that do have privilege can kind of (laughs) invite and create space so that we can have an equitable and I use equitable sometimes instead of equal because (laughs) equity and equal are different Um, but to be able to like give an equitable platform for people of across the spectrum to be able to be seen and heard No, absolutely. I think you gave so much dimension to the conversation that we had today. And I'm like, so excited to read your book. Please, 
please get the release date out because I know I think that this is so fabulous and thank you y'all can't see the book but I can tell you that it looks so fantastic <laughs> and it's such a unique idea I've never seen I've never seen anything that's like academically sourced but like understandable for children at the same time which is like so <laughs> it's such a weird dichotomy but I think it's so great yeah. well thank you I mean as long as as long as the parent has consented for the kid to read about blowjobs I mean <laughs> that's fine I mean and I say about blowjobs I just reference blowjobs I'm not teaching blowjobs I'm just referencing blowjobs um but if people want to have a look at like the front cover or whatever it is on my website if you just go to ourbisexualsjustgreedy.com and you'll see that there's a tab on the book and you'll be able to like give me your name and email and I will email you as soon as I have a release date I'm having to like you know keep my mouth shut on that and it's like really frustrating um but I will also put out there that it is actually my long-term plan and goal to turn the book into a television show or a tv show or like a streamed show so um, do you think that hopefully that might be something people would watch as well, right, Felicia, if we turn it into a show? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I yeah. think that that would be so, fabulous. Yeah, I think so. Because I think that I want to be able to, these stories can be seen and heard in multiple ways, right? Some people are going to pick up the book and read it. Some people are going to go online, you know, and watch the show. So um, that's, that's like me just putting it out there into the universe. Please, universe. Turn it into a TV show. Let's go share all these stories. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If anyone has a family member in production, uh, just shoot them this podcast. And uh, no, I definitely think that this this message needs to be way more accessible. And I think you're doing it in such a unique and creative way that hasn't been done before. I mean, I've read a lot of sex and sexual health books, um, yeah. but nothing this dynamic, which is so fun. I'm always reading like psychologists and like, that's just yeah. like the nerd in me being like, oh, what's the statistical like understanding yeah. of this, that and the other. But that's not everyone's, you know, that's not yeah. everyone's cup of tea. And I really think that this book has like so many, um, so many prompts, but just like in such digestible terminology, which I think is so important, especially in this field. So I'm like so happy you were willing to come on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm thank you so much. Are. Thank you. No, this is wonderful, Felicia. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay. Thank you again, Fiona, for taking the time and chatting with me. If you like this episode, make sure to subscribe to the Sex and Self podcast for more episodes like this coming out every single Monday. Thanks for listening.